episode 137 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. I take one week off. Jeez. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. This is the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Hahn. Who else would I be? Uh, it says it right on it, but I'm told by the podcast gods to make sure you always mention that it's you. <laughs> Tell them your name, Chris, they say to me. Tell them your name. I'm like, my name's on the screen as they're listening to it. I think they knew who I am. Anyway, I'm Chris Hahn. Welcome to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast, episode 137. Um, I want to say, first of all, right off the bat, I am absolutely 100% humbled. Uh, I took last week off unexpectedly. I just got really busy last Monday when I was supposed to be recording the show, and I couldn't do the show. It's like 11 o'clock at night, and uh, when I finally freed up, and I'm like, I can't do the show now. Um, And I forgot to tell my provider to put up a best of, so my bad there too. And I get, I don't know, three dozen emails from people who I don't know who listen to the show, uh, asking me if I'm okay, telling me how much they love the show. I hope that I wasn't fired. Um, no, uh, I don't think you get fired from a podcast. <laughs> I mean, somebody will put it up, right? I mean, it's it's a uh, um, it's great uh, that I, that I have this option to uh, speak directly to America and the world, really, through this podcast app. And no, I was not fired. I just. Uh, I wound up having to do a TV appearance unexpectedly Monday, and it screwed up my whole day. And it was at night. It was like right when I would be normally doing this show. And yeah, it screwed me up. And I had to just punt uh, the podcast for a week. And I, I truly, truly apologize uh, for those of you who emailed me. I said, people were telling me, I listen to you while I run. I listen to you when I walk my dog. My aunt texted me and said, did you, did you stop doing the podcast? Because I am doing a lot of other audio media, right? So I'm I'm doing my regular Thursday night show, which you probably all know of. That's where I get my interviews. Today I've got uh, the great former Senator Barbara Boxer, friend of the show, been on a couple times, always great to talk to her, great insight, really understands what's going on in America. Um, I do that show on Thursday night. I've got uh, a new gig on 77 WABC in New York, uh, which is also being syndicated, uh, where I'm uh, battling Curtis Lewa every week. Uh, I had done a lot of radio fill-in on ABC Radio recently, and now I've got this regular show. So I've been doing a lot, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to do this. I love doing this. This is this is, uh, this is is something I enjoy, and as long as you'll keep listening, I will keep recording. So I want to truly thank all of you who reached out, and there were a lot of you. Uh, I've gotten you know emails and texts, and people went to ChristopherHahn.com and emailed me and you know it was it was very touching to me I was like wow people really do like my show (laughs) it's like I'm like I know people are listening to it because I get the stats and uh you know I I, I iHeartRadio who uh, actually sells the ads on this show um pays me so (laughs) I assume it's it's going okay but it's a uh it is it's another thing to hear from people and it was the first time I've ever just not put up a show. I've been doing the show. This is episode 137. So that means it's the 137th week I've done the show. That's almost three years of doing show. Actually, I may have been doing it for three years because I have put up best ofs uh, in the past. I put up best ofs when I was on vacation. Uh, so it's been um, 
you know, it's almost three years. I think it's very close to three years I've been doing the show and, and I got a lot of loyal listeners. So I, I truly am touched by it. So, you know, let's get into it. There's a lot going on in the world. Uh, this January 6th committee, I think, is going to be busting out a huge report uh, shortly after the new year, I think. I think they're going to have hearings in January. They should have a hearing on January 6th, frankly, drag people in. But they've been interviewing tons of witnesses. People like Cash Patel are cooperating. Um, people from the vice president's staff, Mark Short, most notably, um, has been cooperating. We saw the Supreme Court last week rule that, not the Supreme Court, the D.C. Circuit Court rule that Donald Trump does not have executive privilege to block the release of documents that the January 6th committee uh, is seeking and that President Biden has already said he's willing to give. Now, look, this presidential privilege nonsense, executive privilege we've been hearing about, it's really limited to conversation that the president has with his staff on national security matters. I'm sorry, your scale schedule, your phone log, those phones are the people's phones. You work for the American people. What you did that day, you were doing for us. I know you didn't take a salary, even though you were charging millions of dollars to the federal government for the use of your properties. I get it, uh, but you were our employee. That's the deal when you become president of the United States. You're an employee of the people. So those are our documents. And unless there is some compelling national security reason, we get to see them if we ask for them. And the people's representatives are asking. They're not asking, they're demanding. And frankly, what is a check and balance system if one branch of government's not allowed to see what the other branch of government's doing? So let's uh, let's get ready to see those. I know that uh, the, the D.C. Circuit gave 14 days for the former president to appeal to the uh, U.S. Supreme Court, which I'm sure he will. And maybe I'm naive, and I talked to uh, Senator Boxer about this uh, in the interview that you're going to listen to in a few minutes. Maybe I'm naive, but, you know, I, I'm a lawyer, and I still believe that there should be some things that are completely nonpartisan at the Supreme Court level. And, and yeah, I get it. This court is very partisan. It is, it's disgusting how partisan it is. But this should be simple. This should be a 9 nothing decision. Uh, even, you know, Thomas and Alito, who are the worst, I think, on that court, they should be right there with the liberals and with, you know, Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, saying that there is, that this the executive privilege that the president, the former president is seeking does not apply. And, you know, and, 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 and we should get to see this stuff. And, and also, I, I talked to the Senator Box about this as well. This is just another part of their whole... I'm still the president nonsense. No, you are a private guy, retired, living in Florida, like most of our grandparents. Okay, my grandparents are unfortunately no longer with us. But when they were with us, they were living in Florida, uh, just like this old guy. And he is no longer the president of the United States. He no longer gets to exert executive privilege, particularly over people who didn't even work in the White House. Radio hosts like Alex Jones. You're going to exert executive privilege over Alex Jones, a conversation you have with Alex Jones or Roger Stone? Please. So I'm looking forward to see it. Um, I, I think we all are. 
and uh, and finding out what what they were thinking. We found out that Mark Meadows had a PowerPoint on how to overturn the election. Ooh, great use of Microsoft. Did he get a booster shot before he did that? So, and let me talk about that for a minute. You know, I want to talk about these tornadoes that ravaged uh, the Midwest over uh, the weekend. And frankly, it's it's December. We shouldn't be having tornadoes anywhere in the United States in December. Uh, it was 65 degrees on Saturday in New York. 65 degrees on December 11th in New York. Uh, it's not unheard of, but it is kind of ridiculous. And by the way, it's not like it was just like one day this week. It's been in, it's been kind of balmy in New York. Now I get it, La Nina and weather and climate are two different things, but man, we've been having some extreme weather in this country and people need to get on board with, uh, with the climate change issue. But let me talk a little bit about COVID and mask mandates. I, uh, I, of course, will comply with mask mandates. But I really think we need vaccine mandates now. And these mask mandates are put in place to really help these people who are dying who are not vaccinated. 95% of deaths in this country, you know, since June are of unvaccinated people. Or it's probably ever. I mean, it's you know, the people before that are unvaccinated. But the, the 150,000 people have died that didn't need to die had they got a vaccine. Yes, I know there's the extreme case of people who have pre-existing conditions who who die anyway. And yes, there's still somewhat of an unknown factor with the Omicron variant. But from what we're seeing, vaccines, particularly with booster shots, protect you against Omicron. And while I will comply with these mask mandates that are being issued here in New York and other, other places in the country, I think it's time for us to say, get vaccinated or stay home or get vaccinated or you wear a mask. You wear a double mask. You put on an M, you know, M95 mask and a cloth mask over it, mask over it. I, I don't know why. I mean, I've, I think I'm at an acceptable level of risk for me personally. I have been triple vaccinated, got three shots of Moderna, and I feel comfortable that, yeah, I might get it. You know, again, getting vaccinated doesn't stop you from getting COVID. It stops you from dying from COVID or being hospitalized from COVID. I think the risk of me being hospitalized from COVID is very, very low. Now, I get it. There are some people who are triple vaccinated who still have a risk of getting significantly sick from COVID. They might have a pre-existing condition. They might have diabetes. They might be older. I get it. And for them... Perhaps a mask is warranted, but that should be their choice at this point if they have been triple vaccinated and they should know their own risk. We are putting these mandates in place for these imbeciles who refuse to get vaccinated. It's, it's, it's really driving me a little crazy because, you know, these are the same people who are more than willing to try the experimental treatments if they get COVID. They're more than willing to treat themselves with things that are not necessarily kosher, like, you know, horse dewormer, ivermectrin, or whatever I'm saying it wrong, ivermectrin, ivermectrin, I don't know, whatever it is. Um, but, you know, this shot that's been taken by, you know, 2 billion people worldwide, they're not willing to, to take a risk on. That should be disturbing to all of us. And now they're going to cramp us even further 
by making all of us who are vaccinated wear masks wherever we go. And we should, because that's the policy. And we shouldn't, you know, look again. I don't think we should be selfish in this country. This is the, you know, I, I tweeted this the other day. You know, ask not what your, you know, John F. Kennedy said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And all these people running around without masks on, pretending that they're patriots, they don't want to help. They don't want to help their country. These people won't even take a shot in the arm for their country, a free shot in the arm for their country. And don't write me about the exception to the exception. I don't care. I get it. There are exceptions to everything. But the vast majority of these people who are unvaccinated are just big old babies who've been listening to big old babies. So put your mask on. But I think our leaders need to think about vaccine mandates to be in public spaces. Period. Vaccine mandates to be in workplaces. Vaccine mandates to be in restaurants. I mean, there's a vaccine mandate to enter a restaurant in New York City. Okay, so now I go into a restaurant in New York City I'm in a restaurant which is 100% vaccinated. Why should I put a mask on? I Think about that for a minute. I, I get it. There's still an opportunity that somebody carried it in and we could transmit it to each other. But the risk of me getting seriously ill is extremely, extremely low. I like the vaccine mandates. I think for sure we need them on airplanes. Because that will take care of all these idiots getting in the faces of flight attendants who are saying, please put your mask on. If we had a vaccine mandate to fly, well, for one, even if they want to keep the mask mandate on the planes, you'll have a, you'll have a bunch of people on the plane who'll be like, okay, you're doing what you can to try to protect us, which is how I feel about the mask mandate. I know I, know I sound like I'm complaining right now, and I am to, an a, bit, to a bit, but I, I know that our public officials are just trying to do what they can to protect these people who refuse to protect themselves. You don't want to see the death rates. I saw somebody on TV. I don't know who he was, a doctor of some sort. He said, by the end of the winter, you will either be vaccinated, recovering from COVID, or dead. And that should scare people who are not vaccinated. But it doesn't scare me because I'm vaccinated. So it is, not only am I vaccinated, I'm boosted. And if they tell me I got to get another booster, I'll get another booster. Who cares? By the way, I had virtually no side effects from it. I had a sore arm and a sore underarm. I may have gotten chilly in the middle of the night while I was sleeping. I don't know if it was that or if my wife stole the covers from me. I don't know. I'm not quite sure why I had the chills in the middle of the night. Because I did get the chills after my second Moderna shot back in April when I got it originally. But beyond that, little sore arm, I was fine the only thing that inconvenienced me was having to be in the pharmacy for 15 minutes after they gave me the shot. They were perfectly good. I had an appointment. They took me in about two minutes after my actual scheduled time. And I was gone. That was it. No big deal. Didn't, you know, I went to a regular name brand pharmacy. I'm not some guy, you know, I, I people tell me, oh, yeah, well, you probably just have some special place you went. No. All the times that I got vaccinated... I got it at a national chain pharmacy and I made the appointment online through their app like everybody else. And I think you need to do it. I mean, look, you're listening to my show. You did. But we got to think about it. You know, I'm hoping that. I'm hoping that our officials say, you know what? 
if you're vaccinated. And in New York State, she did a good job. She said, you either have to have a vaccine mandate. I guess actually, you know, I'm, I'm, now that I think about it, you either have to have a vaccine mandate or a mask mandate inside buildings. So restaurants in New York City, I guess you don't need to wear a mask because you have a vaccine mandate to be in the restaurant. So we're cool. We're good. I can go out to dinner in New York City. I like that. I like that a lot. I think that every place around the state of New York and the rest of, rest of the country should have a vaccine mandate to bring people in. Period. All right. You know what? Now that I think about it, it's not so bad. Good job. Good job, Governor. <laughs> so it's, but it, she, she actually has it. She has the vaccine mandate in there. But we're starting to see mask mandates too. So I, here's my thing. The governor gave options to all of these businesses around the state of New York. Just tell people they need to be vaccinated or don't come. Now, the problem is, is now you're relying on people who are not in law enforcement, who never wanted to be telling people what to do. Maybe they're a waiter or a host of a restaurant or a doorman or, um, you know, a cashier. You're relying on those people to enforce these rules. That bothers me. But I enjoy the fact that there is an option for fully vaccinated staff and fully vaccinated clientele. All right. All right. So I'm going to take a quick break and I'm going to bring in the great uh, Senator Barbara Boxer. You know you love Barbara Boxer. She's awesome. So stick around. Joining me now, one of my favorite guests, uh, a friend of the show. I I have to say, because she's done at least four shows now. Uh, former United States Senator from the great state of California, Barbara Boxer. How you doing, Senator? Very good. So far, so good. I almost gave out the, the phone number to my other radio show uh, when I was doing this. Now I'm doing too, too many shows oh my right now. I'm, I'm like, oh. Good. You have such a good you know, approach to the issues. I'm glad you're doing more. It's good. Well, I'm loving it. I, you know, it's funny. I, I've been doing TV my whole life. Uh, and now, ever since I left the Senate anyway, and now I'm doing radio, and I gotta tell you, I love radio. It's just such an intimate format. You really can get into people's heads, and you really, it's really what it is. You're going, you're beaming right into their heads. You're a voice in people's heads. I know. I did a little radio for a period of time before I ran for Congress a, a gerbillion years ago, and it was, um, I did a very late night slot. And it was really interesting for who was up at midnight. Nice. Oh God, it was wild. It was one of those shows that people called in and asked questions. Oh, awesome. It was really something. I got to find tape of that if it's out there. Uh, it'll be, it'll KTO be, Radio. KTO it, Radio. It's not like you could get blackmailed anymore. You're a retired senator. They, they can't <laughs> They can't call you out for what you did in the 1970s. Well, I, I liked it. I thought it was fun to do, and it was great to hear from the people. They just call in and ask questions. It was great. Well, I'll tell you, I am mostly on conservative radio stations. Even this right. show, uh, just the Chris Hahn show, is on mostly conservative radio. I'm on a couple liberal stations, particularly in Wisconsin. I'm on a bunch of really good left-wing stations. But uh, most of the calls I get are from people who just don't agree with me. <laughs> yeah, well, that makes it very interesting. Yeah, it makes it a lot of fun. And I think it's good. And you have an opportunity to, to tell them what you think and let them... Yeah. Let, well, let that just ruminate. I try to tell them all I want to do is make you think. You know, question Good. everything and everyone, even me. I say, as I say at the end of my show, question everyone and everything. 
sure. uh, because that's what we should be doing as Americans. We should be in the in the in the business of questioning, particularly people in authority. So I'm glad you're here on a very newsworthy day. Yeah. Um. You know the 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 uh, appeals court in, in Washington D.C. just ruled a couple of hours ago that president former President Donald Trump cannot exert executive privilege. Uh, over the documents relating to January 6th. I I love your initial reaction to this. Sure. Well, I think anyone who's looked at the past decisions of courts surrounding this issue of executive privilege would say this is not, it's not surprising. Because it started, I, I checked this out, it started with George Washington. He wanted to keep secret some of his negotiations with the British, uh, around some issues. And, uh, you know, he, he fought hard, and he, he he eventually gave in. But eventually, when Nixon said he had executive privilege not to hand over the Watergate tapes, that's when the courts were very clear. They said, you know, you have to prove it's in the national security interest not to turn it over. And they said, no, you have to turn it over because the investigation by Congress trumped any of his claims. Right, and that's the thing here. What the former president is asking the court to do is to overrule the Congress and the president, the current president uh, of the United States, who have both said there is no national security interest in keeping this stuff a secret. Exactly. Now, I, I, I might be I might be a little naive and maybe you could set me straight here. But I think when this goes to the Supreme Court, if they even choose to take it up, by the way, which they might not, uh, if this goes to the Supreme Court, I expect a nine nothing decision here. Because this is ridiculous. I would hope so. You have to really, really hope so. Because I will tell you this, uh, you know who made the claim for executive privilege? Clinton, and it was denied. Obama, around Fast and Furious, and it was denied. So there's a string of these court uh, rulings, and it's very, very clear. And, you know, just to get away from the legalese of it, you have to just ask yourself the question, and that means your listeners who are conservative or liberal or whatever they yep. are, why does somebody not want to turn over notes? Yeah. What is he trying and to hide? Especially when it deals with this insurrection. So it's really important for the American people to know what the heck happened. Uh, this, You know, when I keep looking at the pictures whenever they're shown, and I want to look away half of me, but yeah. I spent so much of my life in Congress, those sacred halls, and to see what happened, uh, and the and the violence against the law enforcement, etc., uh, it shakes you, it shakes you. And, you know, we haven't had that since uh, the War of 1812, yeah. attack like that on our capital. So we need to know what happened. We don't have to tell the American people what to think about it, but let's get the notes yeah. and let the American people decide. Yeah, and, and, and it, I think it's imperative that we, we learn this stuff. Look, I want to see more stuff available from the... I think this government forever has covered up, not covered up, but kept secret far too many things. I, I think that we have far too many things that are classified, far too many things that are just not in view of the public. Mm-hmm. And, and especially when it comes to decisions that are affecting everybody's life. And and I hear it from the right and the left. Well, why can't we know this? Why can't we know that? Well, I want to know. I think America deserves that. I think the American people are grown ups and they'll handle it. Well, yeah. And um, I don't know about this equivalency thing again, which you just did, which the press does constantly. All yeah. sides are doing it, yada, yada, yada. 
look, in this case, all sides aren't doing it. Yeah. But yes, it is true that Democratic uh, presidents asserted executive privilege, and it was not right, and the courts called them on it. But in this case, it's one president. Yeah. It's the former president. And then there's the whole question of whether a former president can assert uh, executive privilege. That's ridiculous. Well, that's... That- could I let me just say let me put it into my terms. You 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 worked in the Senate. Yep. I was a senator for many many years. Supposing somebody wanted to see something from my archives, I can't assert you know Senate privilege. No, I'm not there anymore. No. So we have one president at a time. And right. Executive privilege runs with the sitting president. You know what this goes to though with him, and you're right about the equivalent. There is no equivalent thing here. This is a not former here. president. There's no example of this in history. Uh, what this goes to is this man trying to pretend he's still president. He, no, that's a good point. He's not president. Use this tonight. Well, I know you're going on TV out in California, <laughs> uh, and I have no stations. I don't think I have stations in California. I just added a bunch of new stations. <laughs> I'm not sure if they're on yet because I was supposed to get a new format for the new stations, and my my manager said, no, use the old clock tonight. <laughs> so oh, I walked in. I said to my producer, I go, do we have a new new clock tonight he's like no i don't have a new clock uh so uh but it, it's it, i think that's what it is i think that's what this is about the these claims of executive privilege is just this guy's facade that he's still president he's yeah, not good. president you know that's such a good point i saw the other day in a fleeting moment i was had the tv on some news station that some gentleman um uh, was saying well uh, it's Trump has been president of the world. That, I swear, it's mm. his whole group that follows him. Mm. Trump has been president of the world this whole time. Yeah. And so, yeah, he's still president, but not only of America, but of the world. Yeah, these, really. these followers of him, and the, the thing that drives me nuts, Senator, is that even when you show them the truth, mm-hmm. even when you show them who he is, they just don't believe it. You show him a picture of this guy with Jeffrey Epstein, this Jeffrey Epstein trial is going on. And and a lot of people on the right are going nuts over this Jeffrey Epstein trial. And then you say, you know, you know, the pilot mentioned that he flew Donald Trump. All you want to talk about is that he flew Bill Clinton. Tell me, uh, you know, why are we forgetting that he also flew Donald Trump? Why are we not? Why are we forgetting the videos of Donald Trump partying with Jeffrey Epstein and the picture of Donald Trump with Jeffrey Epstein? Like nobody wants to talk about it. No. And of course, there's so many other things attached, which we won't even, I don't want to even talk about, yeah. but so many awful things attached. But, it, you know, it just seems like there's a group that will, you know, it's the cult-like, cult-like yeah. following, which is always very scary. Because when you're in a cult, you just don't question authority. Yeah. And you said before, the most important thing to do is question authority. Yeah. But you're in a cult, you just follow blindly. And it's um, you look, I, I, yeah, I I know what it is. I I get attacked by some of those folks, even at my old age. And you know, I have a Twitter account, and I get all this crazy stuff. Uh, tr- trust me, you it's should so crazy. You should crazy. see you should see mine, Senator. So, Senator, um, you know, just to r- put a bow on this, and I know I've talked to you about this before, and I love hearing your opinion on it. I just don't know how we start to convince people who are in this cult. Mm-hmm. who don't want to hear the truth, no matter how it's presented to them. I don't know how how you deal with that. Do we just have to wait them out? Well, I think what's important is to try to get people who they trust, who, you know how they do this with 
with other cults, people who got away and people who saw yeah. truth to step outside and say, look, you know, they do this with drug rehab and everything else. I was there. I understand. I did it. And, you know, not that that's easy because I... these people get attacked. But I just think your question implies something that I agree with. I don't think there's anything you can do or I can do. Right. Because when you're in this kind of a mindset, the other side thinks that you're part of a, a conspiracy to harm them and, and their leaders. So it's you have to get the people that can break through. It's not easy. Yeah, it is hard. I don't even know who those people are. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. Like, you get a guy like Anthony Scaramucci, who is his communications yeah. director, comes out and says the guy's a maniac. Nobody yeah. now they hate him, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but the, but 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 it's helpful. You know, the Republican Party uh, has changed so much since I was there. I never got a bill through without my Republican friends helping me. I never got elected without getting seventeen percent or fifteen percent of Republican. Yeah, when you first got elected, California had Republican governors. No question about it. And when I got elected to county supervisor, there. I don't think my district ever had a Democrat, so I had to reach out, and um, it was it was wonderful to be able to do that because the basic thing that people would say to me is, you know, Barbara, I don't agree with you on everything, but you're in it for the right reasons, and the right reasons were, you know, to make life better for people. Now maybe I I won't agree with you every time, but right. they're for the right reasons. Now you cannot you cannot get that same feeling. So I think it is good that people like Scaramucci, Nicole Wallace on MSNBC, there's a lot of them who are very, very brave. Yeah. There's a ton to speak out. And my hope is that people who don't agree with this cult-like, frightening, you know, anti-democracy mentality will just become independent voters. Look, you don't have to become a Democrat. Right. Saying you have to do that. Just become an independent, and then you'll become the decider as to who is going to win. And actually, in my state, truly, um, even though the Democratic registration is far more than the Republican now, far more, yep. there's a lot of people who are declined to state, independent voters, who make a lot of difference in these districts that are more purple in my state. So I think that's where the power um, needs to go. I agree. It needs to go there. Well, let me talk about a Republican who wasn't crazy. Yeah. who we disagreed with, but I know you served with. And I always found him charming and humorous. And even though I, I didn't agree with his policies, um, I thought he was a, a, a strong person and a good human being. Bob Dole, who passed away earlier this week. Um, I know you served with him for, I, I guess it wasn't that long. I think maybe part of your first term. Yes. Um, yes. So, so, so tell me your impressions of him as a person. Well, here's the thing about him, and I did a tweet on this. I said, we disagreed on many, many issues, but the one thing we never disagreed about was the fact that our democracy was worth defending. Mm. And he defended it on the battlefield. He defended it, you know, in in the United States Senate. He did a lot of good things um, because of his disabilities. He, he, he made sure that when the Disabilities Act passed, he was leading the charge. I was over in uh, the House at that time. Um, and and he was just terrific. And there were lots of other things he did to really, you know, protect and defend the country. Um, 
It's funny. It's, it's not funny. When I got over to the Senate, one of the first things I was forced to do was to go after Bob Packwood, who had yep. actually harassed at least that we know on the record, 21 or 23 women, yep. some of whom worked for him, some of whom were lobbyists, some of whom were waitresses. And, and oh, Bob Dole was mad. He was really, really mad. And he said to me, he said, on the record, he said, you are the most partisan person in the Senate. In the Senate. And so I laughed because this had nothing to do with it. It mm. had to do with sexual harassment. And so um, many, many years later, when the New York Times wrote about that case, they said, Barbara Boxer was, did the right thing. You know, I tried to say this has nothing to do with politics, but he was mad at me. But, but the committee under, uh, under McConnell, who at first defended him, folded, and they, and they said, we want to see your diaries. And he wouldn't turn him over. And, and that was it, resigned. right? That was it. He resigned. I mean, yeah. it's sort of similar to executive privilege. He said, I'm not turning over my <laughs> private diary. Who keeps a diary? <laughs> uh, he did. And some of the things he wrote, in it, you would not believe it. They're not X-rated, but certain things like, the women love my hairdo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, really? <laughs> really? I didn't. It's like but, that line from Hamilton, looks proximity to power. Oh, my gosh, honestly. Yeah. Some of the things that he did were just outrageous, and so he, he's he gone. Yeah. And I take pride in that, and Bob Dole was really mad at me. <sighs> well, I know why he was mad at me. He lost the seat to Ron Wyden. Yeah, and Ron so, Wyden's still there. You got it. Yeah. He's and, a great guy. And he's been... Been doing a great job, and you know, but you know, look, one of the things I remember about Bob Dole is when he lost the presidency, he conceded. <laughs> you know, it's like, of course, like, oh, he was an honorable human being. Are you kidding? And also with that cutting wit, and he never yes. took himself too seriously. And and I, I just, I just thought, wow, I'm glad he's lying in state because, especially given the atmosphere today, you know, he worked with the other side to get things. I didn't agree with the other, yeah. Side. He didn't hold things up, and he was he was good to work with. And um, you could see some of my colleagues who work with him, like uh, Tom Daschle, talked about, you know, he was an upfront guy. He told you what he thought. If you didn't agree, try to work it out. If you if you agreed, he'd stick by it. And that's what politics should be about, not about bringing down the other party. Yeah. Uh, for the fun of it, which it's, we have going on right yeah, now. Yeah, it's like sport. I mean, especially the exactly. Senate, right? The Senate is supposed to be yeah. rise above it. Six-year terms, you're there for a while, you got security. It should rise above it. It should be the cooling saucer of the Republic. But it, You should it, rise above it, but I have to say the House is a mess. Yeah. and I the, mean, the House, is, the House is scary. People, I can't even imagine what... It, and I was there for 10 years, and we never... If we went, if we said something about another colleague that was even a little bit off, your words were taken down, which for the benefit of your audience means they were struck from the record. Mm. If you said something, they were taken out of the record, let alone calling a colleague a terrorist or whatever the, yeah. they're doing over there now. It's just awful. And uh, yeah, 
So don't get me started. It, I, I, well, I think, I, you know I, what? I, I think I want to get you started, but I'm coming up against a break. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit about these like wackos in the House of Representatives. And basically some of them are creeping into the Senate too. your Ted Cruz's your uh, you know, the other guy, Josh Hollies of the world really just becoming even Rand Paul are just becoming wackadoos in the U.S. freaking Senate. It's driving me crazy. So we're talking about how comedy is dead uh, in the Senate. And I, I have to stress the T because most people don't even know what comedy is these days, which is sad. Um, and, and uh, you know, Josh Hawley comes to mind, a man who, who said he's going to defend masculinity, Senator. What's your take on that? Well, and not only does he say defend it, he, he's blaming women <laughs> for the fact that there's an attack on masculinity. <laughs> and I say as a woman, uh, if, if you are bothered by that, something's deeply wrong. Go yeah. see the shrink. You've got problems with your own manhood. Yeah. And, you know, this is ridiculous. Yeah. And I think the context he said it in was that, you know, women were fighting for family medical leave for, for everybody in the family. Yeah. Right. This is ridiculous. So he's got a lot of problems. He gave the salute to the, the insurrectionists. Yep. He's uh, feeling very insecure about his masculinity. I say, yeah. go see a shrink, give up politics, find something else. Yeah. yeah. And if that doesn't work, just, you know, sit by the fire with a big, you know, gallon of ice cream and work it out, <laughs> you know, like other people who have masculinity issues do, oh, you know, just drown it in a uh, cookies and cream usually <laughs> will do the trick. Ben and Jerry's, frankly, I know you're against them, Josh, but, you know, they make a damn good ice cream. Uh, it is it is kind of ridiculous, though, right? I mean, the Senate wasn't supposed to have people like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley in it. it they were never supposed to be in the Senate. You you get your, you know, for the, the entire history of this country, there's been nut jobs in the House of Representatives. That was what the House of Representatives was for, the passions of the people in the House of Representatives, right? The passion of the day, which is why they have two-year terms, because the passions fade and they get voted out, usually. Unless they, of course, draw the map so that they can be in forever. Um, but the Senate, you're supposed to have people like you, people like my former boss, Chuck Schumer, people like Bob Dole or John McCain, great people who are states people. Yeah, I mean, that was the place where, as you alluded to before, our founders said, you know, the House is the hot cup of tea, and it cools in the saucer of the Senate. Now, these people are hot. And what are they hot about? They're hot to become president. Yeah. They're hot to uh, peddle their conspiracy theories. They're hot to, uh, you know, go after Democrats, regardless of what the issue is. And they're hot to placate the Trump base. So it has become, you know, really crazy. I was in another interview the other day, and um, they said they were ranting and raving about, you know, vaccines and, you know, how people have the right to, shouldn't have to take it if they want, blah, blah, right. blah. And I just said, look, if I wake up in the, and also they're for doing away with Roe v. Wade, that's mm. for sure. Yeah, yeah. And they're they want their my body, my choice when it suits them. Yeah, and they're they're cheering on that. And, you know, I basically said, look, in all of these health issues, if I wake up in the morning and I don't feel good, I'm not calling Ted Cruz or Josh Hall. Right. I'm calling my doctor. So stop playing doctor. You know, get out of the reproductive health care of women. That issue is a difficult one, and I have 
been such a strong supporter of Roe v. Wade for this reason, it may surprise you, because it allows each woman to make her decision. Mm. And that's the thing. However she decides. You know, Amy Comey Barrett said, oh, I don't know what's such a big deal. Have the baby and give it up for adoption. As if that's an easy thing for someone who's been raped or a child or something. You know what? If it happened to her child and this is her decision, um, I would give her every bit of respect and I would support her decision. But on the other hand, if someone else decided, I can't go through the trauma of having a rapist child and early in the pregnancy, as Rose suggests, you can do this, then I would support her as well. So it really is more about trusting women than anything else. And that's the thing. These these men, mostly, uh, you know, Amy Comey Bryant aside, yeah. they don't want to trust women. They believe that women should be in a subordinate role, frankly. No question. I think if you really dig deeply into it, um, you will find that that is the case. Because, you know, in the olden days when I was growing up, they'd say, men want to keep women barefoot and pregnant. Mm-hmm. In other words, just stay out of my way and I will make all the decisions. And it's just not that way in the real world. No, and, and it can't women be... Th- are equal. We're not better. We're equal. And by the way, the economy that these people created by their trickle-down economics since the 1980s do not allow for a single earner in most households in this country. Absolutely. Women have to be part of the workforce nowadays by necessity if you're going to have a family in America. Without a doubt. It's so expensive just to pay the rent, and we all know this. And that's why some of the things Joe Biden is trying to do to make it easier for families, such as, you know, getting a break on child care, having universal preschool. These things are going to make such a difference. And making sure you can have decent home health care that's affordable if grandma or grandpa needs it. These are the things that our families need. You know, I don't understand why things like this this Gosar guy who, who tweets out this video of, of AOC and, and, and then attacking oh, the president, you know, back not even that long ago, like four or five years ago, he would have been called into the minority leader's office. He would have been handed an envelope with his resignation in it and told to sign it and leave. What, what what is wrong with Kevin McCarthy? I mean, he's your from your state. I mean, what is wrong with this guy? Well, do we want to have a whole show entitled "What Is Wrong with Kevin McCarthy"? <laughs> we could do it. He's a coward. He has and he has no spine. Mm. So that's the same thing. He's a coward with no spine, and he has no beliefs. None, except for one belief. He wants to be majority leader. He can't. He wants to be speaker. He wants. I mean, I mean, speaker. What yeah. am I saying? I see. I can't even get that far. Uh, but absolutely right. He wants to be speaker. He's measuring the drapes, and he is so weak. And he's he is he has nothing to offer. And I just it's not only this Gosar who did this violent video. How about people trying to um, people putting out Christmas? Cards? Yeah. With standing with guns, ridiculous. And how about uh, one colleague calling another colleague a traitor? Yeah, she happens to be of the Muslim faith. Yep. This is something that is unheard of. And even as you say, a few years ago, even a few years ago, would not be tolerated. So they have this coward. And here's what I think has come up in Sulbi. He looks so weak that even the people who were glad he's weak on these things aren't going to vote for yeah, him. Yeah, they, they ain't voting for him. He is you know? never 
never going to get the right the, the, that side of the coin because he's too weak. He's never going to be speaker. No ne- never, ever, ever. The economy has never been better. We have record unemployment, record wage increases, record job growth, record uh, stock market revenues. How are the Democrats losing the messaging war on the economy? Oh, that's a great question. Um, Here's the thing. When you're still battling a pandemic that is not in your control, and now with the new variants and all the other issues, this is hanging over the country. Mm. So I think this is a bad patch in terms of uh, Joe Biden's uh, opinion about him, the polling. But So it's a bad patch. Because you know what it's like? Let's just say you really like somebody, but you wake up in the morning with a bad cold, you feel lousy, someone calls you and says, what do you think of my friend Susie? You, know, you feel like hell and you go, oh, can we just talk about another talk? Yeah. By the way, you and if you... I mean? it's like people are in a bad mood about something that, that obviously is beyond the control of the president. And you don't even but... have to read the poll too deep to realize that it's Democrats that are actually where he's lost the most. They're in a bad mood because of it. But I just want to say, yes, the news is amazing. The most jobs created by any first-year president, most jobs created. But let me tell you something that that I was involved the other day because people were asking me about the treatment of this president by the press Mm. compared to how the press treated Trump. And guess what they found out? Biden's getting treated worse. Yeah. Okay? But I want to give you an example so your audience doesn't think I'm making it up. So this was amazing. AP Wire story. I don't know if you saw this. If you didn't, you're going to. I actually saw this <laughs> interview with you. So I know exactly oh, what you're going to say. God, I, okay. I think I saw it on, on uh, one of the networks. It was it was MSNBC. Yes. So what happened was, they, so when there was 200,000 job growth with Trump, it said, Trump administration, robust job growth last month, 200,000 jobs in headline. Right. The same AP wire for Biden when there were 210,000 jobs <laughs> created, it said, you know, lackluster, and that's not even the right word. Oh, yeah. sluggish. Yeah. Sluggish. Sluggish job growth, 210,000 jobs. Same number, even more jobs created under Joe, and that's how it was. So... The guy has not caught a break, but no. you and I know in politics, because we live and breathe it, that, you know, a year is like yeah. 10 years. Forever. So there's lots of time. But so just to sum it up, I think people are, you know, anxious. I'm sure we all are anxious. You know, things in California are better than most places, but still we're seeing people get this thing, and it's very frustrating and it's difficult. Um, so I think that's hanging over. and But I also have to say we need, absolutely need better messaging. Yeah, We need better messaging, and you, you've shown the way of how to say it. How many jobs are created? You know, how are we doing on the supply chain? How are we doing on the inflation? All the things, you know, that the press has been just jumping all over Joe Biden. People are barely, they're barely talking about inflation. It's funny, like, on one hand, you see a headline, People plan to spend more than ever for the holiday season. And then on the other hand, people are worried about the economy. How could those both things be true? They can't both be true. Right. And, you know, the thing is about inflation, um, if it's not runaway inflation, 
it's it shows that people are getting better wages. Right. That's one thing. And they are getting better wages and and that's, you know, a really a big plus. But I think things, you know, are getting better with the economy. Jobs, jobs, jobs. If they pass this bill back better bill mm. along with everything else, you know, a lot there's gonna be half a trillion spent over time, yep. over like ten years, on um moving to clean energy. And I could tell you, coming from California, those are jobs that you cannot export. Right. You know, when you start putting solar rooftops up, those are people right here. When you start building stations to for plug-ins, for, for electric, cars, yeah. That's all people right here. And I think it's going to make a huge difference. Now, I remember when I was a young aide to Senator Schumer, and I had to drive you somewhere. You're on Long Island. And I gave you a ride to the train station. And I had a very small car at the time. I had a Chevy Cavalier at the time. You were getting on me for not having a hybrid. This is 2000 when it was like unheard of to have a hybrid. (laughs) And I want to tell you, Senator, that I now own a hybrid and I am probably buying an electric car next. Oh, that is so (laughs) great. Yeah, we we drive a, I could say, a Ford Escape. And it gets Ford. It's a a plug-in hybrid. So we plug it in at night. It gets 47 miles on the charge. Wow. Which means we don't have to really go to the gas station unless we take a long trip. So it's really, uh, for those who are listening, it's it's wonderful. Well, it really is. I do enjoy having a hybrid. Um, I don't have a plug-in hybrid, but I am, I'm probably going to be, uh, be hitting the uh, electric car next. There's so many good choices now, and the ranges yeah. are getting to where I want them to be. I need it. I need exactly. Th- and one more point. We need to have those charging stations. Yeah. Because unless you own a Tesla, if you buy a different kind of electric car, which we had for a while, uh, it's hard to find the charging stations. You have to. It's not. It's not. That's why this Build Back Better is so important. So let me, in the few minutes I have left with you, let me ask you about yeah. Build Back Better. Do we think it's going to pass? I do. I I am the eternal optimist. I think it's going to pass. Is it's going to have certain differences that you know we can't anticipate right now because i think joe manchin who's going to be such an important uh, part of this he'll ch- if, if inflation starts to go down and all you have to do is look at gas prices yeah you know uh, uh, joe biden went to the strategic petroleum reserve which was so smart and even though people said that won't work it did yep <laughs> it, it did it's already you know, coming down <laughs> it sent the signal oh it's coming down quite a bit in california where we have always higher prices but you know, if if Joe Manchin feels inflation's under control and he can um, put in a few things in there that are great for a state, the state always struggles there. Yeah. We have very tough economy. I feel we're going to get it done. I do. I can't say when, but I'm hoping before Christmas, but I believe it's going to happen. Now, that would be the third major bill, the COVID Relief Act, and then you'd have the bipartisan infrastructure and this bill back better. They'll, get, they'll start taking lead out of the yep. water. And again, all these things have to be done in America. So we're going to have a boom economy, I believe. I, yeah, really I think that's going into 2024, for sure, we're going to have a boom economy. I mean, yeah. we have a boom economy right now. And hopefully by 2022, people understand that and they vote accordingly. Well, Senator, it's always great talking to you. I really do appreciate your time. It feels like... It feels like I'm talking to a relative around the around the dinner table. Well, you know, <laughs> you're from Brooklyn originally. My mother's from Brooklyn originally, and Long Island is basically Brooklyn East, so it is what it is. Senator Barbara Boxer from the great state of California, always a pleasure to have you on. Please come back again soon. Of course.
hope you enjoyed Barbara Boxer as much as I enjoyed talking to her. She's awesome. Make sure you check her out wherever you find her. She's uh, at Barbara Boxer on Twitter, I believe. But I'll tweet her out later. So just a parting thought on Mark Meadows and uh, the January 6th committee. Clearly, he was going to cooperate till he got a call from his former boss, Donald Trump. But those texts are so incriminating that not only did Mark Meadows know what was going on, and, and frankly, you know, the fact that he would say that the National Guard would be there to protect the Trump supporters. From who? From the Capitol Police? But they're so incriminating that Mark Meadows knew what was going on. Donald Trump's kids knew what was going on. His sycophants in the media knew what was going on. They were actually pleading for him to do something about it. You're going to tarnish your legacy. I don't know. Maybe uh, the pandemic and not creating any jobs tarnished his legacy, bumbling on the world stage, all sorts of other things. But I don't. If there's no consequences to this, it's going to happen again and again and again. And I'm not talking about like the guy with the horns on his head going to jail, the uh, QAnon shaman. That's not the consequence. Mark Meadows, Michael Flynn, Mo Brooks, Donald Trump need to face consequences or this will happen again. Mark my words. So... You know, let's pray this January 6th committee, which I think has been doing a lot of work behind closed doors. I mean, they, they say they've, they've taken over 300 depositions from people who are cooperating. I can't wait. And, and I hope Mark Meadows goes to jail for contempt of Congress because he surely has contempt for America. So, all right, with that, I'm going to remind you, as I always do, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there. And I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.